let's make sure we, we celebrate Father's Day. I had the privilege this week of watching my two girls. Both my girls were with me. And probably two or three days, and then Meredith, of course, was there longer. And then I got to, sometimes I would just sit back and watch their interactions. I saw their, their husbands talking, and my, my, my daughter's husbands are polar opposite. I mean, I've got one that, that is um, a police officer and one that's a piano player. That's pretty opposite. Uh, I've got one that, that, that looks Italian, and I've got another one that definitely looks not Italian, okay? Um, he is South Korean, and so... But we had a good time. I was playing cornhole with rules, just so you know that um, over there. Uh, do, do, you, do you have rules in cornhole? Okay, good, good. But, you know, watching them, it made me really thankful for, to be a dad. I know family members in my, in my situation that, that their families never even talk, ever talk. I know some that have done some bad things that they'll never, I don't know if they'll ever communicate with each other. You know, I look at some of you that have your, your children with you. Don't ever underestimate what it is to be a father or a mother. And, and we're going to look at some verses in here, and I, and I want you to see this. When I was thinking about all the fathers, of course, everybody talks about Abraham as being the father of the nation. And of course, we have the heavenly father. You can look him up, and, and it talks about him all the way through the Bible. And what an example he is to us. But I was thinking about one that would be more pertinent to us. And he's found in Luke chapter 8. And I want you to follow along with me. Let's go ahead and stand for just two verses. Then I'll read the rest of it at a, at a second time. I want you to look at Luke chapter 8. And um, I want you to look at these verses. We're going to read 41 and 42. And here's the story. This is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not written in John. John doesn't write a lot of, uh, as I said before, I think he only writes 11 miracles out of 37. But here you have the story, and Luke is telling the story, and I like looking at this story in a perspective of what a doctor would see, because Luke is a physician. Look what it says in verse number 41 and 42. It says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had, only, he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, she was, and she lay a dying, but as he went, the people thronged him. Now this is talking about they're coming at Christ. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Johnny if he'd pray for us. Amen. You may be seated. As you look at verse number 41 again, there's a couple things I want you to see. It says that this man was a ruler of the synagogue. But what, what did he do when he saw Christ? Interesting two words, he fell down. This is his way of worship at that point. This is his way of worship. He says he fell down. And, and then it says in verse number 42, you've got to remember what he's, when he tells the story, he says that he only had one daughter. Now, I'm a 
dad that only has daughters. Never forget we had the first one and we knew what she was. And the second one, we didn't want to know what she was. We were going to find out when she was born. And Megan was real quiet in the womb. She, she was carried different. And then Meredith comes along and she is sitting in a different position like they say boys do. And she is moving, kicking, biting, scratching the whole time. And she's always been our active one. And so we didn't want to know what hers was. And this is a problem. We had a, a pretty rough um, birth with her with, with coming up to it. And I'll never forget, the doctor delivered her. They broke her water and she was at a two. She went to a 10 instantly. And in 17 minutes, she had a full delivery on Meredith. The first one, she had a, a what's the epidural. And the doctor ha had me, I don't like needles, had me help give the epidural. I don't know if you've ever seen an epidural needle, but it'll send you into another world. And I'll, forget, I'll never forget what happened. I only go into details. The first time they missed. And I, and I almost passed out. And so the second time they, they, they hit it, and, th and then comes along Meredith, and she's at a two, and they said they can't give her any medicine. And then they finally said, listen, she's coming. And my wife goes, epidural, epidural. And she goes, sorry, honey, you're not going to get one with this one. And so she delivered in 17 minutes. I'll never forget what the doctor says, that she has the baby, and my wife hasn't seen it yet, and she says, you have, and I was waiting for it and waiting for it, and I was in the room. I, I was on the other side. I didn't want to see anything. I was like, just let me know what we have. And she said, You're ha you have another daughter. You have a girl. And I'll never forget my wife's reaction. She was in the heat of this whole thing. She said, are you sure? The doctor said, I've been doing this for a while, and I'm telling you, this is a girl and stuff. So, you know, you look at it, and, you know, I'm thinking of the Barnett's. They have two girls, probably polar opposite in certain things. My girls are not the same whatsoever. And, you know, you, you just see, you see some similarities, but they're not always there. But I can't imagine as a father of just one. My, my brother-in-law has three daughters, and so he came up with a shirt. And it, and it has a dodo bird on it, and it says dodo club, and on the back it says dads of daughters only. We're in the dodo club if you have just girls. So, you know, I look at some of these families that just have boys. I don't know what that would be like, but I do know what it's like to have girls. One of the things you learn if you have girls is to be patient. Because I, you know, one thing you're going to be shocked at is I don't wear makeup. I look good enough, amen, but they have to wear makeup. I'm not saying they don't look good, good enough, but here, I, I'm looking at thinking when we get ready, it takes them a whole lot longer than it takes me. I can get my hair done, I'm ready in five minutes. They'll look at me and go, there's no way you're going to be ready. And then I'll get ready and I'll wait another 35, 40 minutes for those girls to get ready. Can't tell you how many times I said, we're leaving in 10 minutes, we're leaving in five minutes. I had to do a countdown just to get them motivated. And sometimes I'd say two minutes about four or five times. Two minutes, two minutes later, two minutes, I'd look at them, five minutes. You know, you just look at them, you, you had to weigh this out as you went. But as you look at this story, he's got an only child. And as I was studying this, verse 49, I can't imagine the emotions of this man in verse 49. Remember, he went to get Jesus, he found him, he fell down in worship, tells him the story, he says, listen, come to my house, he's going to come to his house and heal this child. I can't imagine the emotions found in verse number 49. You don't read, you just got to read into it and see what it says. Go to verse number 49, it says this, it says, while, ye, while he yet spake, 
there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him. Now, at this point, he sees a guy he knows. He doesn't know what he's going to say, but look what the guy says to him. says, the daughter, thy daughter is dead. Can you imagine what his emotions are? He's, he's one child and is dead. Then he says, he, looked, he looks, he says, trouble not the master. I love that statement because this servant that went there knew who he was going to. He told him where he was going, but he also called him something with a capital M, Master. Here's a rule of the synagogue going, a religious man going to see Christ, and his own servant knows who he is and knows what this, what's going on. His emotions are going all over. I can't imagine what he says. And in verse number 51, in verse number 50, but when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Fear not. Look at these next two words. Believe only. Those are two powerful words. Believe only. It says, and she shall be made whole. Wonder what he's thinking now. His emotions again are going all over. We don't know exactly how much he knows about Christ. He knows that he needed to talk to him for that healing. And so here you have this, and it says in verse number 51, it says, and when he came to the, into the house... He suffered no man to set, go in and save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. Here, here you have the emotions of the other people. You have all these people at this story and they see what's going on and they're crying over the situation because they truly love the, the master and they, they love their, their, their person that was in charge. Then they also loved this child. Can you imagine the emotional besetting of what's going on? They're all crying and whimpering, and he says, listen, she is not dead, she is sleeping. In one, one term, and it says this, it says, and they laughed him to scorn. Now don't get this as they start joking. They're making fun of him like you have no earthly idea what's going on. Then it says this, and then it says, and they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and, and called, saying, Maid, arise. Her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. I think this is interesting. He's concerned about her, her physical attributes. He says, listen, get her something to eat. And then he says, and her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. You know, when I was looking at this, there's a couple things that I see in this story. And I want to talk to the men about this. And it, it, this is a word that you always think of when you think of men, patient. Right? Amen. There's, there's one brave soul in here, and he just got elbowed. Amen. Um, aren't we just patient? Don't we love to be patient? I mean, I like to be patient. I remember I went to that sleep apnea, did a sleep apnea test this week. And, and one of the questions they asked, they said... Um, do you fall asleep at stoplights? I was like, no, I want to race the guy beside me. I'm not going to fall asleep. It's a ra race is on, amen? You know, I, I can't imagine falling asleep at a stoplight. Uh, my wife can fall asleep when we travel for about 15 minutes. We're in the car. We're gone. You know, she's watched every movie the first 15 minutes, never watched the end of it. She just likes to fall asleep. That's fine. I, I, I want to have patience in my life. But you know what, dads? That is very important to your kids. Because they're not built like you. You say, well, he's my son. That doesn't matter. He is not built like you. Amen? Right, Brother Taylor? Amen. All right. We've got to look at all this. We've got to understand. But you know what the Bible talks about instead of patience with, with um, dads? 
You ever provoke your kids? Am I the only one that does that? I'm endlessly provoking my kids. And then there's sometimes they say things that hurt me and I think I'd probably say the same thing. Do you realize in the Bible it never says wives don't provoke your children? But it sure says that about dads, right? There's two cases when it says the word provoking. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Now, sometimes when I provoke them, I'm kidding with them. But here it's talking about provoking them to get them mad. Do we know what we're doing with our kids? Sometimes we do. And again, remember I told you that my kids are totally different. I could say one to one, th- one child and say the same thing to the other child and destroy the second child. My, my, one, my first child, she's headstrong, Megan, and if I were to say to her, you can't do that, she'd prove to me that she could do it. And she'd do it with r- relentless, and I don't care what it was, she would try to prove it. The second child, Meredith, when she was growing up, if I'd have told her the same thing, she would stop trying. Now, they've both grown out of that to some extent, but I can remember looking at them and say, I could really provoke them. Because you know what the, what, what the Bible says? Look at this. La- don't, don't underestimate the last four words. Lest they be discouraged. Now, who, who wrote this? Paul wrote, wrote this. He wrote the, in the next one. He wrote, wrote, writes the next, next one too. But here, you know what we need to be? We need to be an encourager. Dads, I'm, I'm looking at Brandon down there. It's not too long before that little boy's going to look up at you and go, I was talking to Meg, Megan yesterday, and they were having a problem with our, with our grandchild, which I have, I have a hard time believing that. And I remember on the phone call with them, um, I, I heard her say, if you don't do this, you are not going to watch TV tonight. You're not going to watch your video before you go to sleep. And then I heard James in the background. James says, oh, no, she's way past that. She's not going to get that either. And I could hear her start crying. And, I, and then my, they call me Bubba instead of uh, Papa or whatever, they, they call me Bubba, and I was like, oh, man, don't do that to her. She's perfect. And I'll never forget the next words out of my daughter's mouth. She said, you need to take your Bubba glasses off and understand she is not perfect. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm hearing in the background crying. I said, you should bring her over to Bubba. He'll put his glasses on and you'll be fine, amen. I want to be an encourager, <laughs> you know. We, we spend a lot of time sometimes being a discourager. I found out working with teens and children, be positive with them. If you're positive with them, they'll, do, they'll get more done. And even if it doesn't look great, it is great. So you know what we do? We look at, I remember when I was 35 and we had children and I'd look at seeing what they were doing and I was like, that looks terrible. But you know what? They're only 10 years old. It's not, if it looks better than yours, you've got the problem, amen? But the Bible says, listen, we need to be an encourager. Don't get them angry where they get discouraged. Man, I have seen so many, pre, so many people mess up. The family we were just talking about, they had three girls. Two of the three girls are not doing good right now. And I'll never forget This man comes up to me and asks me for advice. He says, what do I do? She's dating a guy that I don't want her to date, and he was not a good kid. And I said, well, you just need to tell her. You need to tell her why. And he said, 
I can't do that. She'll, if I tell her to do that, she'll do exactly opposite of what I tell her to do. That's a great philosophy. Guess what? She is now married to this man. I wonder if he still has that same philosophy. We've got to sit back and understand, we have to be an example to our children. The next verse says this, it says, And ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath. There again, another word for anger. But the word wrath, he brings it into more of a subjection. It says, and, but bring them up. Look at the last part. It says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What does that mean? Nurture, by definition, is this. Instruction which aim at increasing virtue. How many of you want your children to have some virtue? You know, I always like, is when you're watching the news and something happens, and you have a story in two or three days later that the mom has watched the video, identified their child, and said, this was my child, and turned them in. Those days are long gone now. I never remember, my mom, my mom would turn me in a heartbeat. She thought I did something wrong, she'd turn me in a heartbeat. One time I accidentally had a pack of gum, and we were in a store, and I put it in my pocket, and I walked out, and I forgot about it, and I said, listen, mom, I got this gum. She said, oh, you're going in, and you're going to tell the manager you're sorry. Say what? I just want to go put the gum back. No, we're getting the manager. She went in and got the manager. You know what? I never did that again. I remember one time I told her I was going to run away from home. Anybody ever said that to your parents? It's pretty intimidating when you tell you you're going to run away from home. And she goes to the closet, gets a suitcase, and packs it, puts it outside. And she put two snacks on the top of it. I'll never forget it. What are those for? Those are for your first meal. What? Can we pray about this, Mom? I didn't say that again to her either. Look what it says. Nurture. We're supposed to bring them up. Bring them up with increasing their virtue. The last one, it says admonition of the Lord. Admonition is exhortation. What that means is counsel, advise, or caution. And I like this. Dad, listen to this. It means a gentle warning. Drives me crazy when I see parents that can't control their child and then all of a sudden in Walmart they're saying words to them they should never say to their child. You should never call your child stupid. Never call your child dumb. And I just cringe when I hear that. Because you know what you're doing? You're browbeating them. You're not bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They need your warnings. They're not going to get it from the school system. They're not going to get it from their peers. You think their peers care much about them? They don't. You know what peers care about, friends care about with, with, with teenagers? They just care about being cool. And let me tell you something. Being cool right now, 20 years from now, they'll look at their pictures and say they were never cool. If I, brought, I, I won't even do it, but if I put pictures of me playing basketball and you saw my shorts that I wore... It's not, a, it's not a good picture. My daughters were laughing and laughing and laughing. And I know they took pictures of it. I know. It's going to probably circulate somewhere. And I'm just going to disavow them again. But as you look at this, we've got to get back an understanding. We're not supposed to provoke. Why do we provoke? Um, as I was looking at this, which one are we? Are we patient or are we provoking? Which one do you exhibit when, it, when you look at those two words? So the word patience. Where do you get the word patience at? Um, the word patience in this story 
I want you to look at Luke chapter 8, verses 41 through 49. There's a, do you exercise your, your patience with your children? Our, our family existed with me and three ladies in it. You better be patient at that point. Look at this story, and I want to show you where I see his patience. Because I think we can understand him, men, as we read this story. And you're saying, well, this story has nothing to do with the other story. Yes, it does. Watch. In verse number 41, we see, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had, only, he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. In other words, a lot of people around him. Watch verse number 43. And a woman having an issue of blood, 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any came and, and behind him and touched the border of his garment. We've talked about this. And immediately she, her issue of blood um, stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied Peter and they, and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive, perceive the virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down. Before him she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she healed him immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. My faith, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Now look at the next verse. It says, While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master." You know, when I was thinking about this verse, you know what men tend to do? Some ladies won't admit this, but do you think men have tunnel vision? Pretty quiet in here. You know what men do? Boom. Don't think about anything else. Am I the only one who does that? Mike Brown, you have tunnel vision, don't you? I got, first got into ministry, I... I had a lot of teenagers I was in charge of, and I went into the auditorium one time, and I had to see that teenager. I'm at, I've always been something, I'll forget why I go into a room. I mean, I used to do it when I was younger, and, and, and I, to this day I still do that. I have to think in my mind what it's about. So I went into the auditorium one time, and I was looking for a teenager who needed to help them with something, and I, and I saw them from a distance, and I went and talked to them. But I did not know that there were three people that tried to talk to me on the way, and I just didn't even listen to what they said. Because in my mind, I thought, I'm going to forget what I'm going to have to say to this person if I don't go back there and say it to him. Well, I went into a staff meeting, and the preacher with me, he said, Brother Wagner, you need to work on listening to people that are talking to you. And I was like, well, I do listen. And by that own, own reaction, I wasn't listening to what he was saying. I was thinking of my situation. He told me what happened. I said, oh, I know what happened. And I kind of explained it. And he looked at me, he goes, that does not make it right. You know why? Because we get tunnel vision and stuff. We start thinking, 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 and we go this. Now, put it in perspective of this man. Here's what I would have said. We need to hurry. My daughter's dying. When you have tunnel vision, let me tell you what you miss. You miss the blessings around you. Hmm. You miss the blessings around you. Here... He sees a miracle, one of the, one, a great miracle. And if he was all about his daughter and not thinking about what was around him, he missed it. 
It doesn't say if he missed or not, but I'm telling you, most men in this situation, we need to hurry, we need to hurry, we need to hurry, we need to hurry. We need. And so, so often we'll go, when we go on a trip, we need to hurry, we need to hurry, we need, and then when you get there, you rest. Right? We need to be patient. We need to let God do what he needs to do. If you're listening to that story, what's interesting, how old was his daughter? How old was she? Twelve. Watch this. He's listening to the story. How long has that lady been sick with the blood issue? Twelve years. So in his mind as he's listening to this, he could say, you know, this lady's been sick as long as my daughter's been alive. And he could have missed the whole blessing of this lady. You know why I think he took, he went with Jesus after he'd already heard that she had died? Because he just saw what happened to this lady. And if he can do this by the hem of his garment, what can he do if he sees my daughter? We need to be patient. We need to understand. Sometimes, Dad, we get so focused on the prize that we don't see the blessings along the way. And I'm telling you right now, you grow fast. Children grow up quick. It won't be too long until you're walking these people down the aisle or you're, you're the best man in their wedding and you go, what happened? Last May, it was a blur. I remember when Meredith would sit on my lap. Now she's winking at me and hugging me. Before we go down, I take her down the aisle. I want to tell you something. That affected me. I felt like I was having an outer body experience. What is going on? They grow up so fast. Be patient, not provoking. The second one is this. Believing, not battering. Believe in something. Don't just run down, dads. We have a tendency to be negative. Amen? I feel like I'm pretty much a positive person, but I can find negativity in stuff, right? Can't you? How many guys in here can find negative stuff and everything? That's why I'm not watching the news right now. Because it's driving me crazy. The negativity that we see. You need to understand that you need to believe. Where you get that verse at? Well, let's look at this. Believe only. Look at Luke chapter 8. Here he's went through this whole thing. They've already told him that his daughter's dead. And trouble not the master, in verse number 49, but look at 50, it says, But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, And again, you have heard me say this, the first two words out of his mouth are, Fear not. I can, I can almost see this man, he's encouraged that Jesus is going to his house, he's excited about it, then a man that he sees comes up to him and tells him, Your daughter's dead, you don't need to bring the master. I can almost see him deflating. Jesus looks at him, the first two words he says is, fear not. Why is that important? Because he knew the emotional state of that man. And then he goes on and he says this. Now he puts the pressure on this man. Keep reading and you'll see the believing in here. In verse number 50 it says, But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Fear not, believe only. The only thing you have to do, Jarius, don't rely on your religious background. Rely on your belief. I love that word only. Believe only. That's the only thing you got to do. And look what happens if you believe. And she shall be made whole. I, I like that statement. This is even better than her being, being alive. She'll be made whole. 
Now, the, the problem that she had, she's not going to be sick when she wakes up. She is going to be okay. So we've got to understand this, that believe only. So we have um, believing over battering. And the last one, I want, want you to understand this, is power. When you realize how much power God has, you're going to forget about your problems. What do we do? Does anybody in here worry? Brandon, you and I are the only people in here. Anybody worry about anything? I do. All the time. You ever had a schedule go, how in the world am I going to get it all done? There's no way I can get this done. I have to do this, got to do that, got to do this, got to do that. We forget the power that we have with us. He is walking with God in this situation. And when you're walking with God, you're in the right situation. Hmm. Look what it says here. Um, and they laughed him to scorn. <laughs> These people have been there. They've seen what happened. They knew he was going to get the master. The master comes back with him. They see him. Jesus says, listen, he's not, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And by the way, understand this. She was dead. He was trying to explain it to them in a simpler term that she is going to wake up. And so they said to, her, they said to him, they laughed, and they laughed him to scorn. But look at the next verse. And he put them all out. The ones that wouldn't believe, it gets them out of the room. You say, why is that important? They didn't understand the power that he had. They didn't understand who this master was. But this dad did. And he's probably walking in a fog, I understand that. But he gets there and he sees these mourners. He sees them crying. He sees them laughing him to scorn. And then it says in verse number 54, And he put them all out and took her, her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. They didn't get to see this great miracle. Don't we, don't we sometimes trust what we know not what is unseen don't we trust sometimes what we know not what is unseen if we only would have believed they could have saw that miracle these people that were mourning and they were, they were all over it and they were mad about it they didn't understand the power that Jesus had I want to tell you something if you have, if you have the power to raise someone from the dead you have the power and that's God and God alone. And so when you look at this, as Father's Day, which one do you want to be known for? Dads, moms. You know, my father's still alive. He's 87 years old. He's got Alzheimer's, and sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. But I love him. Ann's dad, I love Ann's dad to death. Excited about him being here. He's moving here. And I'm excited about him being here. But when I look at fathers and I look at myself, I wish my, my, my daughters would say I was these. I was patient with them. I, I wish they would say that I was a believing father when no one else would believe. And I wish they would, understand, I, I wish they would look at me and say, you know, Dad, 
you had the power. And it's not your power, it's God's power. I can remember the conversation with my daughters when my wife went into surgery 12 years ago. And I said, I don't know if she's going to make this. And I have, a little, I have little kids on the other side going, what does this mean? I remember them tearing up and I'm saying, Megan and Meredith, I don't know if she's going to make it through this, but we're going to be okay. God knows what He's doing. And I can tell you right now, I knew God was walking with me every step of the way at that point. I'm not saying that I was supernatural. It was just God in me. I'll never forget on the way, you know, you know you're in a surreal place when you go to a surgery on your way from your house to the hospital, which is about 45 miles you stop at one spot and you go in and you sign all the documents to a lawyer and not a word is said when you're in there. He said, you need to sign this, you need to sign this, you need to sign this. And I look over and some of the lawyer's assistants were crying as they did that slit across the table. You need to sign this, take care of this, take care of this. And so we had to sign all of our wills and stuff to take her to the hospital. The, 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 the hospital required us to do that. I didn't mean to do it the same day, but it was, was the same day. And then all I could think of is my little girls. Dads, we need to get back to understanding we need to be patient. And when I say that, it always scares me. Every time I preach, preach about patience, God's going to teach me. Oh yeah, you said that? I'm going to show you something. And then, we need to be believing. We also need to have the power that God gave us. Don't trust in your own power, men. Brandon, are you ready for a child? I knew how he'd answer that. Is there anybody in here that said, bring it on, I'm ready? No one says that. I shared that with you. I said, man, no one thinks they're ready. Man, you think if you had a little girl, can you imagine? Can you imagine? No one's touching her. You don't even look. I could see him handcuffing a child in our, in our children's church saying, listen, you leave my child alone. No one's ever ready. I wasn't ready to be a grandpa. And you know, when I saw that child, everything changes. I want to be known for that. I don't want to be known for this. Provoking. Battering. And the last one is always circulate around the problems. Dads, let, let me tell you something. Don't talk about your problems in front of your children. They don't need to hear them. They do not need to hear them. Don't batter people in the church. Because <laughs> you batter people in the church, they're going to get insight of what you think and they're going to believe the same way you do. You know, my children didn't eat a lot of stuff growing up because I don't like to eat a lot of stuff growing up. Amen? I don't like to try stuff. I go with my granddaughter and my grandson, I mean, my, my son-in-law makes her eat everything. Sushi, fried squid, is it calamari? Is that fried squid? I remember looking. I went to a restaurant with her. And I'll just end it with this. I went to a restaurant and looked at the end, and she's sitting at the end of the table in a, in a high chair. I don't know if she could talk, or yet, talk yet at that point, but I look over, and she's got calamari sticking out of her mouth, chewing on it. And I'll never forget. I don't want to go over there and go, oh. But I was grossed out by it. And she had like one of the little legs or tentacles sticking out. And, she, and her dad just grabbed the end of it and stuck it in her mouth. And she swallowed it. I want more. I want more. No, you don't. Have some common sense, daughter, granddaughter. 
Our children are a product of us. If you're an encourager, they'll be an encourager. Sometimes they might go wayward. They're still your children. Be the dad that you need to be. Be the mom that you need to be. You read this story. One day we're going to meet this man. First question I'm going to ask him is, what was your emotional state when you heard that your, grand, your daughter was dead? He fought through it. And I want to tell you this. I guarantee you he hugged her neck when she got up. I guarantee you there was rejoicing in that, sit, in that, in that house because of what God done. God still does miracles. Dads rely on Him. Lord, I thank You so much for this day. Lord, I thank You for the ability to understand what we need. Lord, may we be May we be patient, not provoking. May we be believing, not battering. May we understand the power and, and forget about the problems. Lord, may we understand you have something for us. Let us be the dads we need to be. Let's be the moms we need to be. Let's be the parents we need to be. And all these things are for everybody. Lord, as we look at this father... What an emotional roller coaster he saw. He saw a miracle, and then he heard death, and he saw a miracle. It was all based on his only believing. May we be the people we need to be. Thank you, Lord, for being our Heavenly Father, being an example to us despite our problems and our shortcomings. And we truly realize how great we have it. Thank you for being the power that we need to get through it. In Jesus' name.